Christmas. Could you turn to your neighbor and wish them a Merry Christmas right now? Let's spread some Christmas cheer. Get both sides. Don't be a Scrooge. Wish everybody around you a Merry Christmas. It is eight days away. Can you believe that? Eight days away. I started my day yesterday morning at 9.30 a.m. at a place called Home Goods. And then we went from there to a place called Hobby Lobby. And then we graduated to a place called Lowe's. And then we took all of that home and we're up till 9 p.m. last night spreading all the Christmas cheer around our house. Merry Christmas to all of you. So thankful that you're here with us today. Listen, as Christmas approaches, there are some things that I wanna make sure that you are aware of if you've missed them in the weekly need to know email or if you're visiting with us for the first time today. We're in our overflow season. As a church, we have been given a mandate from the Lord for some things that we want to accomplish together as we sacrifice and practice generosity. I wanna tell you where your overflow offering is going during our Christmas season. There are two things that I wanna specify. First of all, we have 13 campuses and our Aiken campus is growing like crazy. Uh, Pastor Matt Steelman and the team down there are doing a great job and our overflow offering this year is going to help get our Aiken campus in a permanent facility, a place they can call home. And so as you give, that's one of the places your overflow offering is going to be invested in. The second is this wonderful, beautiful vision we have of planting 10 churches by 2030. We have two families that we are raising up and sending out from our church here at New Spring. Uh, Chris and Kathleen Dew, good friends of mine personally, they're gonna be going to St. Petersburg, Florida to plant a church, not a New Spring campus, a church. And we get to fund and support them as they go. And then Josh and Taylor Bull, uh, they're gonna be going back to Australia and we're able to support and send them back to their home country of Australia where they will plant a church there. That's why I'm encouraging you as one of your pastors, pray about and make plans to give in the overflow offering uh, before the end of the year so that we can invest in those two visions from our church. Now, I also mention one more thing to you. You know I like to do a lot of ministry at the local YMCA. I spent a lot of time there. This past week, I was in the sauna with a bunch of guys, a bunch of sweaty guys, a bunch of sweaty guys with our shirts off, sweating. Ooh, gross. And one of the guys in the sauna looks at me and goes, preacher, tell me, can you prove that Jesus was born on December the 25th? I said, no, I cannot. But if you'll come to church with me on Sunday, you're gonna hear us talk about Jesus and Christmas. Now, what I didn't have was one of these really cool invite cards that we have provided for you. I wanna go first as an example to tell you it's not hard to invite people to church. You just have to ask. We've given you an opportunity to pick some of these up on your way out today from your campus. And over the next six days, because Sunday, a week from now, and next weekend, we're having Christmas services at your campus. Invite someone that you know and love to come to one of our services next weekend. And this is a cool way for you to just simply put an invitation in their hand, leave this with them, and they can come and be a part. Now, before I preach this message, I do feel like I need to address uh, the elephant in the room. There has been some debate on this stage during our Christmas series called God With Us about what kind of tree you should have. 
in your house. We put up our trees yesterday. We have one inside and one outside. Some people believe you should have a real tree. Some people believe you should have a fake tree. Here's what I believe. I don't care. Whichever one is easiest and whichever one is cheapest, amen? Well, let me get real. Whichever one pleases my wife. That's, that's the answer to the debate. There's also been some debate about whether or not Die Hard is a Christmas movie. Of course it's a Christmas movie. And it's probably God's will that you watch it at some point during the holidays. Now, some people like to debate and argue, what is the best Christmas movie? You've got some that say a Christmas story is the best Christmas movie. You've got others that say Scrooge is the best Christmas movie. But I'm gonna tell you, Christmas Vacation with Chevy Chase is the best Christmas movie. I didn't read that in my quiet time, but I felt that in my spirit, and I just wanted to share that with y'all. Now, um, there's one more debate that I need to settle. Some of y'all don't know what meat needs to be consumed at Christmas. We've got ham people. How many of you are ham people? You like ham, country fried, honey baked, doesn't matter, you just like ham. All right, ham it up at Christmas, go for it, oink, oink. How many of you are turkey people for Christmas? You like turkey, gobble, gobble. That was fewer hands in this room than I thought. Maybe some of you have moved from turkey to what I believe to be the meat of choice for Christmas, steak. Eat steak for Christmas and you will feel a special anointing of the Holy Spirit in your home. Just gonna throw that out there for you. But you know the best thing about Christmas, it's really not the kind of tree you put up or the kind of meat you eat. The best part about Christmas is being with the people that you love. It's having your family with you. It's having the people that you love close by, close enough that you can see them and touch them and put an arm around them. The, the presents and the gifts and the tree and all of that is good, but it's the people that you know and love being there with you. That is what makes Christmas so special. I call it witness. Just being with the people that you love. I was preparing for this message as we do as a teaching team and, and I came across some statistics that, that really, they startled me, but they also broke my heart as a pastor. Just this past year in May, the Surgeon General of the United States issued a report. Let me tell you the name of this report, the epidemic of loneliness and isolation. That's the name of the report from the Surgeon General of the United States. And post-COVID, they have been studying this epidemic and how people feel lonely and disconnected. This blew my mind. I wanna share this with you. 29% increased risk of heart attack for people that feel lonely and isolated. There is a 32% increase in the risk of a stroke. There is a, th this one really got me. The risk of dementia goes up 50% when you have no community, no friendships, no closeness, when you feel isolated and lonely. 50%, can you believe that? How about this? There is a 60% increased risk in premature death. They call it in the report, all cause of mortality. All causes of death go up a combined 60% when you have no closeness, no witness with other people. And 61% of Americans have said they have felt extremely lonely in the past year. That is why the Christmas story is so essential for us 
That's why coming together on the Lord's Day, that's why being here next weekend for one of our Christmas services, that's why being with people that you love on Christmas Eve or Christmas morning or Christmas evening is so emotional for us. God wired us to be with each other, but God also wired us to be with him. But God knew that we could not be with him unless God initiated that witness. God had to initiate that relationship. And I wanna begin before I read this passage with this statement which encapsulates my heart for us today in this message. The witness of God's love for us is his witness in every season and struggle. That's God's witness to you that he loves you. He is with you in every season and every struggle. Now, I wanna take my time and I wanna read to you and with you the Christmas story, the birth of Jesus from Matthew's gospel. And you can look along in your copy of the Bible or you can look on the screens or if you're watching online, you can even open up our New Spring app. And I wanna take our time and work through this beautiful story of how God came to us. This story is the witness of his witness for you and me. This is what Matthew records in Matthew chapter one, verse 18 and following. The birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. So we get introduced to some of the characters of the Christmas story. First of all, we see Mary, this young woman who had never been physically intimate with any man, particularly the man she's betrothed or engaged to. You just imagine what kind of virtue Mary had to have, what kind of woman she was, that God from heaven would handpick her as the mother of his only begotten son. What a woman of virtue and character. And then we get to meet Joseph, even though briefly, and we see that he was a man of great integrity because he knew that he was allowed by cultural standards and by even Jewish law to divorce Mary because she began to show that she was pregnant and everyone knew that they had not been married yet and this would have been a disgrace for her. But because he was a man of character and virtue, he didn't want to publicly soil or spoil her reputation so he decided to keep it quiet. He decided to honor her and protect her by divorcing her secretly. But this baby that's in her womb was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And we get to see the Trinity here in the birth of Jesus. God the Father who wants to enter into our world so he sends his son in the form of a baby. And how does he do it? Through the power of the Holy Spirit. What a beautiful theology we see right here even in Matthew chapter one at the birth of Jesus. Verse 20 says, but after Joseph had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, and this angel is Gabriel. There are two angels named in the scriptures that we know of. Michael is a warrior angel. And Gabriel is an announcement or a proclamation angel. And when he comes, he says to Joseph, Joseph, son of David, don't, 
don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. In other words, I wanna give you confidence that she has not been unfaithful to you. She has not lost her chastity. She is a woman of great virtue and the Holy Spirit has conceived in her. She will give birth, verse 21, to a son and you are to name him Jesus because, and this is a biblical concept we see all the way through from Abraham to the apostle Paul, this name had a meaning and you're gonna name him Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. Now, all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. And then Matthew, being a Jew, wants to connect this to the Old Testament to show that this was prophesied hundreds of years before Jesus was ever even born. And it goes like this. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him, and he married her. But he did not have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son, and he, Joseph, named that son Jesus. And that's the Christmas story. Before there was Amazon delivery, before there were shopping carts to fill up, before there were plans to make, before there was the hustle and bustle of Christmas, there was a young teenage girl with a husband that had to take it on faith. This woman has been virtuous. There was a story of a baby being born in a manger. When that little baby was born, it wasn't the Talladega Nights little eight pound, 14 ounce or whatever it was. I can't even remember now, baby Jesus. This was a Jesus, a baby born to a poor peasant mother and a poor peasant farmer in a manger where animals came to eat. And that is when God stepped into our world. That was when God said, I'm not gonna just give you orders from heavenly headquarters. I'm gonna come down to the world and I'm gonna be part of you. This is where the holy got his hands dirty in our mess. This is where the impossible became possible because God came to be with us. This is where the ideal that was promised became real and tangible. This is where God the powerful said, I'm gonna become vulnerable. This is where the remote got really close. This is where God took on flesh. Christmas is God entering instead of running away. That's what Christmas is. It's God entering in to my mess and your mess, my world and your world. This is where God said, I'm not just gonna observe I'm not just gonna destroy everything and start over with another planet. I'm going to get as involved as I can possibly be and it's all part of my plan. That is Christmas. God could have run away, but instead God entered in. We call it Advent. What does Advent mean? That group of sweaty guys in the sauna that I was inviting to church, that same guy that was debating with me about when Jesus was born, he said, preacher, tell me what the word Advent means. Everybody always talks about it. I don't know what it means. Here's what it means, church, if you don't know. I didn't know until I looked it up several years ago. I'd said it too. The word Advent simply means arrival. It just means 
arrival. Some of our best friends just had a baby this week. And when that baby arrived in their home, that baby not only became a part of their family, but that baby changed their world. Babies are really cute, but they are also very sinful. And if you don't believe me, just go and have one. Right, ladies? This is Advent. God arrives and he runs into instead of running away from our world. I like to put it this way. God steered into the slide. Okay, it's December. I'm not sure what the weather's like in the Midlands and, and our low country campuses, but up here in the upstate, it feels like Christmas right now. It's cold, it's rainy, it's gray outside. And y'all know if you're from South Carolina, if you're not, welcome. Once a year, we get nine snowflakes in the upstate. Once a year. It's usually in traveler's rest. And when those nine snowflakes are predicted by one of our weather people on the news, there is a mind virus that infiltrates everybody and a mass panic sets in. And there are certain people that go to the store and they take their arm and they just rake all of the bread and all of the milk into a grocery cart because you gotta keep your carb levels high during snowmageddon. There's another group of people that go to Quick Trip and they get the beer and the cigarettes and they just rake them in. Nine snowflakes and the mind virus takes over. And here's what else I know. It's typically not the snow that is so bad. It's in January or early February when the ice hits. And what happens when the ice hits? People that can't drive in ice get in their cars and they try to drive and they make the rest of us want to stay home and not even go out. Nobody can drive in snow and ice in South Carolina. Nobody, unless you're from Michigan or Boston, right? Then you know how to do it and you know stay off the roads if you want to live. I learned something growing up on the farm about what to do when your car begins to skid on ice or snow. And I learned it in a four-wheel drive truck in a field. I was raised like a country song, y'all. I'm talking a Merle Haggard country song, not Florida Georgia Line country song. <laughs> had, to, had, to, had to clarify. My dad taught me when you're in the truck and you're on a wet road or you're mudding or you're mud bogging or four-wheeling or if you're in a four-wheeler, whatever, when you start to slide and skid, your instinct is to steer with it, like go with it. like just. And then what happens is you just end up spinning and losing control. What are you supposed to do? Steer into it. Steer into the direction that your car is skidding. Can I tell you, church, that is exactly what God did when he sent Jesus to be born of a virgin. We were on skids. But God had a plan. God knew. He prophesied this through the prophets of the Old Testament. In God's time, God looks at our world, sees the mess, sees the brokenness, sees that the world is on the skids. There is a wicked, pagan Roman Empire that is taking over the world. And to us, it looked horrible. But God saw that and realized, now is the right time for me to send my son to steer into the skid. Now is the right time to send my son to be born because the Greek language has united the world 
The Roman government, as wicked and pagan as they are, they've built roads, and those roads will one day be used by men and women that will walk those roads and take the story of the crucifixion, resurrection, and return of my son all over the world. There are docks where ships come, and men like Paul, who will come to Christ, will get on those ships and sail throughout the Aegean, throughout the Mediterranean, and this story is going to take the world by storm, and where did it start? A baby in a barn. That's where it started. God steered in to the skid. I want to show you, if you'll give me four minutes to give you a four-minute crash course on the theology of this word incarnation. I want to give you a four-minute look at how God has always been with us. God has always been with us, but it culminated at Christmas. God was with us in creation in the book of Genesis. God said, let us make man in our own image. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Trinity, creating Adam and creating Eve. God was there, hovering over the water as it was formless and void. And when he spoke the world into existence, he not only was with us then, but he was with us when he breathed into the dust the breath of life, and it became living flesh. God was with us in the rebellion when Adam and Eve broke his command, when they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, when they tried to cover themselves with fig leaves, God did not abandon them. As a matter of fact, Genesis says that God was so present in the rebellion, he came down to the garden and called their name. Adam, Eve, where are you? God was with us in the crucifixion. Not just with us, but there. Jesus hanging on the cross between two thieves. Right there, in between sinners, where Jesus was always seen during his ministry, with broken people, that was God in the flesh hanging on that cross incarnationally. He was with us in the resurrection. When Jesus was in the tomb for three days, paying for our sin, suffering for our iniquity. On the third day, God raised him from the dead and he proved that his resurrection was real by saying to Thomas, touch my flesh and see the scars that prove I'm alive. God was with us in the commission. We call it the great commission where Jesus just moments before he ascends up into heaven, he tells his followers and you and me, Go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature, make disciples of all people, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and tell them to obey everything I've commanded. Oh, and by the way, I'll be with you because I'm sending my spirit. He was with us and still is in the Great Commission, and he will be with us in the restoration. I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to the time when Jesus will return and we will be his people and he will be our God and there will be no more crying, no more tears, no more medication. I won't need to wear these glasses anymore. When I read words, I can throw these readers in the trash. I won't need to sleep on a sleep number bed and keep trying to adjust it so my lower back doesn't scream, pain! Every morning, I can just hop on a cloud and take a nap if I want to. I cannot wait till the restoration. But all of this is encapsulated in this one word, incarnation. Incarnation. He came to us by becoming one of us. That's the incarnation. What does it mean that Jesus became one of us? Here's what it means. It means he knows everything you feel. He knows how hard your life has been. 
He knows what it's like for some of you that are looking for a job right now and you got rejected and turned down one more time. He knows what it's like to wonder what's next in your life. Jesus knows what it's like to be abandoned by his closest friends in his greatest time of need because that's what happened to him during his trial before he was crucified. Jesus knows what it feels like to have somebody turn on you that you trusted. Judas, one of his hand-picked disciples, sold him out for the equivalent of what it would cost to buy a Keurig coffee maker right now today as a Christmas present. Jesus knows what it's like to be physically hungry because he fasted 40 days and 40 nights. Some of you, you're like, well, Jesus can't understand what it's like for me to have these crazy thoughts in my head. Sometimes I feel like I hear voices telling me to do things, I'm tempted. Do you know that when Satan comes to you and gives you crazy thoughts or attacks you and tells you that you're not loved or you're a terrible person or you don't deserve God's love, that's just Satan like throwing thoughts at you. Jesus actually stood there with the real Satan, like the real, the real, the real actual devil. And he tempted Jesus Three times, and Jesus, eyeball to eyeball with the father of lies, understood what it was like to be tempted to sin. Jesus understood what it was like to be lonely. Jesus understood what it was like to be misunderstood. Have you ever had somebody judge you? And in your mind, you're like, well, if you only knew what I'd been through, how can you judge me? If you knew what I have experienced, you would be a lot more merciful toward me. Yeah, they misunderstood Jesus so much that they murdered a man that never sinned for sins he did not commit. That is what the incarnation is. The incarnation is Jesus coming to you saying, I understand how you feel. I've been there. Let me help, help you. You know, they say that you shouldn't meet your heroes. I grew up hearing that. Don't meet your heroes because you'll be disappointed. Now, y'all need to know this. If you ever travel with me, some of our team, we've traveled together. And they know this. I have several spiritual gifts. My primary spiritual gift is preaching. I love to preach the gospel. My, my second gift is eating. I love to eat food, everything, but cilantro, that's demonic. Everything else, my gift. Third gift, I have an ability to meet and, and talk to famous people. I do. If you're traveling with me and I'm in an airport or anywhere, I'm gonna see famous people. I, I will see actors, rock stars, movie stars, local TV stars, but mostly pro wrestlers. That's mostly who I see. I spot them. I've got an ability. God gave me some, some kind of gift. I mean, there's not an artificial intelligence that will ever be invented by anybody anywhere that can even come close to my ability to spot famous people. And then I'm like, okay, I gotta go meet him. This happened to me about 10 years ago. I met one of my heroes. His name is Terry Bollea. You don't know that name, but I know who he is, Hulk Hogan. Or if you wanna go WCW, NWO era, Hollywood Hogan. And I grew up watching this guy tell kids on Saturday morning, watching, you know, wrestling, hey kids, eat your vitamins and say your prayers and mind your mom and dad. And I grew up, this guy was my hero and I see him coming down the moving sidewalk and I'm like, oh, 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 pull out my Blackberry. That's how long ago this was, my Blackberry. And I, he's wheeling a suitcase. I stopped him, I said, hey champ, can I, get, can I get a picture of you? I was really disappointed in how he treated me. He said, yeah, give me a minute. I gotta go to the bathroom. Stay here with my suitcase. And Hulk Hogan leaves me with his suitcase and he goes into the bathroom. And I'm like, okay, so many thoughts right now. I have Hulk Hogan's suitcase. I should leave now with his suitcase. What's in here? Steroids and vitamins? 
And honestly, um, by the way, he smelled probably like tanning lotion from the tanning bed because that's the one thing I remember the most. He smelled like he traveled with the tanning bed. And then I thought, wait a minute, uh, this is against TSA regulations. I'm breaking federal law right now. I did not pack this suitcase. Then Hogan comes out, I take a picture with him. I got somebody to snap the picture. And I was really just disappointed in how rude he was until I found out that he had just had his ninth major spinal cord surgery. You know, the difference between meeting a hero like Hulk Hogan and knowing Jesus in the flesh is that Jesus never disappoints you. Jesus never lets you down. Jesus is always better in real life than the picture of him that you've developed from the books you've read or the stories you've heard or the sermons that you've sat through. Jesus never is less than what you expect. He's always more than what you dreamed, more than what you hoped for. That's why this word incarnation, Emmanuel, God with us, is so essential for you and me because we need the witness of God. We need him close. We need him, I need him. Can I get confessional with you for a second? The last four years of our life as a family, the Kings, I mean, we're, we love the Lord. I've been in ministry 36 years. You'd think that preachers would get a break, uh-uh. God doesn't give us a break. We go through the same things you go through. In four years, our family has suffered through eight major surgeries. And I'm telling you, it's been hard been real hard. I have been depressed before and my mom and dad died before I turned 40. And I know that when Christmas comes around, I'm, I'm always like, man, my mom and dad are gone, all my aunts, all my uncles, except for one, my grandparents, all dead. And then over the last four years, four major surgeries. Four years ago, my gallbladder, that was the first one. And then Jacob tore his ACL, MCL, and meniscus, that was number two. Then Joseph tore his MCL, that was number three. Then my appendix burst and I got sepsis, that was number four. Then number five was about a year ago, my wife had a hysterectomy. Four months after her hysterectomy, she's not even recovered from it. Her appendix burst, that was surgery number six. I actually think she died in my arms. She completely passed out, turned gray. When she finally got to the ER, her blood pressure, I drove her myself to Greenville, her blood pressure was 80 over 40. That was surgery number six. Surgeries number seven and eight happened last month, nine days apart. Wanna see? Look at this picture. That's surgery number seven and surgery number eight, also known as Jacob and Jojo. Both of them in full locked knee braces. ACL and meniscus, except this time the other way around. They do everything together. I'm just here to tell you it's been hard. It's been really, really hard. And I just want to tell you that over and over again, I've been reminded that his name is Emmanuel, God with me. His name is not God against you. His name is not God angry at you. His name is not God suspicious of you. His name is God with us. That means he never leaves. He's not absent. He's not gonna take one look at your sin and go, oh, that one did it. I'm out of here like last year. No, he steers into the skid. He runs into instead of away from our world. That is what the name Emmanuel means. He's with you right now in every season and every struggle. So I guess what I have to ask is what, it's Christmas, what does this have to do with you? 
Let me ask a question and then answer it. What can you give Jesus for Christmas? Your sins in your heart. That's all you can ever really give Jesus. The reason why we give gifts at Christmas is because Jesus the baby received gifts. The shepherds brought him praise and worship. The angels came and worshiped him in the shepherds' fields of Bethlehem declaring glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward all men. The, the magi came from the east, probably modern day Iran, and those wise men brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And listen, you can't buy anything on Amazon that Jesus couldn't get himself if he wanted it. But what we can give Jesus this year for Christmas is all of our sin, brokenness, and struggle, and ultimately the affection that resides in our heart. It's all Jesus wants. Give him your sin. Give him your heart. And you'll experience a witness that is better than anything this world can give you. And I just feel like right now I need, I really do feel this from the Holy Spirit. There are people right now that don't have any assurance of God's witness in their life. You, Maybe you don't know if you're a Christian. You don't know if you're saved or not. Let me tell you how you can know. You ask. You ask Jesus to save you. And in our first gathering today, we saw dozens of people across all of our campuses pray to receive Christ for salvation. You do know the reason why Jesus was born? So that you could be born again. And some of you can be born again right now. You need to. And I'm gonna tell you how. I wanna walk you through it as you close your eyes and open your hearts at every campus. If you lack the assurance of salvation and you want confidence in your relationship with Jesus, ask him to forgive you of your sins right now. Pray this to Jesus. Mean it from your heart. I'm just helping you, but this has gotta be your prayer of faith. Pray this to him quietly in your heart. Jesus, I need you to save me. I believe you are with me and I wanna know you. So I give you my heart. Please come in. I give you my sins. Please forgive me, Jesus. I repent and I receive your love. Thank you for saving me, Jesus. Thank you for being with me. I'm gonna ask you to keep your eyes closed. I'm gonna ask a simple question. You know, I do this a lot. And I believe it's important that you identify in some way publicly that you have responded to the gospel today. So with your eyes closed at your campus and your heart's open, I'm gonna ask a simple question. If, if you just gave your life to Jesus, I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand straight up above your head right now. Just raise it up, please. Raise them up and just keep them up. Raise them up. Keep them up. I want to be able to see you from, at least in this room, from where I'm at. Raising your hand doesn't make you a Christian. Jesus does. Keep them up. Praise the Lord. Put your hands down. In this room, you can open your eyes. Every, every, every campus, you can open your eyes. The Lord knows who means it. I, I don't... I have no idea, I can't see every campus, but in this room, I just counted from what I could see, 21 people, 21 of you in this room 
that just indicated that you had responded to the gospel, to the good news. Great, praise God. Here's what I wanna invite you to do. Our eyes are open. I'm gonna have everybody at every campus stand up right now. Go ahead and stand up. I wanna make it as easy as I can. Someone from your campus is gonna come out in just a minute to handle the rest of our response time. I wanna handle this piece. I want you to look at me. In our first gathering, I saw a couple, a young couple sitting together. They raised their hands when I asked who had been saved. And then I made this appeal. If you just pray to receive Christ, I want you during our response time to come forward and find the cross, wherever the cross is in your room. Here in Anderson, it's right over here to my right, your left. There's a wooden cross. There's one at every campus. And I saw that couple as they stood up, they went immediately to the cross and some of our prayer team members were able to pray with them and help them take their next step. Why do we ask people to come forward and move during an invitation? Because when something is important, you move towards it. And the devil will try to tell you, oh, it was just in your heart. Just stay right here. You don't need to go forward. You're already good with God. You just prayed the prayer. You don't have to do anything else. You don't have to do anything to be saved. Jesus did the work. But when you do get saved, there's something in you, the Holy Spirit, that wants to move you to a place of confessing your faith in Jesus. And I have committed my life to say this, and I will die saying this. You do not have to be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is powerful, it is strong because Jesus, because Jesus died to give you access to God. So if you just prayed to receive Christ, the feeling you will get when you simply step out of that seat at your campus and walk to the cross, that feeling is more than an emotion. It is an identification that now God is with you and you are with him. So that's what I wanna specifically ask you to do. I'm gonna pray someone's gonna come out at your campus and there's gonna be multiple ways to respond, but specifically if you prayed to receive Christ, whether it was the first time or the 31st time, let us help you take those steps and figure that out. We've got people ready to pray with you. If you gave your life to Jesus, I'm asking you, move, come forward or to the side, wherever the cross is in your room, and let us help you become a disciple of Jesus Christ. And some of y'all are already moving now, praise God. Jesus, we love you. We honor you and your word. We thank you for the incarnation and the gift of your birth. And as we celebrate those who have given their lives to you today, we wanna give you the honor and the glory and the praise for this great gift, God with us. In Jesus' name, amen.